Welcome to Bible Fellowship Church's Sunday Morning Messages. Our podcast records a Sunday morning sermon from our pastor, Dr. Don Trust, other church leaders, and special guests. We hope you enjoy it, find it inspirational and enlightening to your understanding of the Bible. Life can be hard, but God has revealed Himself to us through the Word for our salvation and growth as believers. To help support our ministry, please consider becoming a subscriber and financial contributor. Links to donate are on our website at bfcforyou.org. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, which means that the Lord's able to save, or His ear dull, that He cannot hear. You remember in the context of the preceding chapter, the people were complaining, what? We're doing the best we can, you know? We're attending, to the, we're attending to the details of the Mosaic Covenant. We are practicing it. We're doing it. We're making the sacrifices, etc. And he says, and we pray. We pray to God that in our circumstances, you'd give us relief from the torment. You would give us a provision in our time of loss and need, and it's and it's if you're not hearing, as if you can't, you're not listening. And so, we'll not go back and review that. You can read that on your own. But there was a reason for that. And the reason lie with them, the people. So now the Lord is transition, or uh, I, um, Isaiah is transitioning and saying, "Look, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear dull that it cannot hear." Salvation is a topic, right? If you remember this third volume in the Isaiah trilogy that opened in chapter uh, 55, that uh, it started out by saying that the topic that's under discussion now is going to be the salvation of the Lord. And then he tells us what that is and why it is needed in the subseding chapter. In other words, the rest of Isaiah from that point forward is the unpacking, the unpacking of what Isaiah means by salvation. And so we get to this chapter then, he says, Behold, the Lord's hand's not short, that it cannot save. He can't save. Even though you're asking the question, well, why don't you? To the people of uh, Israel at the time of Isaiah. He says, or, your, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. He can answer prayer. He can respond on behalf of his people. Even though it appears, it is apparent that the Lord seems to be, to be not responding from heaven to the need of uh, the people of Isaiah in that day. Remember, they just gone through the, uh, the Assyrian Holocaust, right? Uh, the Babylonian captivity looms ahead. Uh, the prophets have already been forecasting that. Isaiah has been forecasting that. Sometimes he treats it as if it's already happened because it's so sure that it's going to happen. So their past has been bleak. Their future is looking very uncertain. And the Lord says, in the midst of all that, I am going to bring about a salvation. The salvation is going to be in the, in, the, in the person of this Messiah. And salvation, the features of this salvation, is going to be a messianic kingdom. Of course, Isaiah 53, remember, all we like sheep have gone astray, but the iniquity of us all was laid upon him. One aspect, you see, of this complete salvation package that Isaiah has been unfolding for us. Now he goes back. At the beginning of this section, verse 2, and and moving forward, he's going to recount the reasons for, um, uh, the the historical reasons for the need of these people for the salvation of God. Then he's going to transition to something that he's not done. 
Right now you see in verse 2 where he says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. That's a problem, right? What's your problem? Well, yeah, I mean, is it possible that our iniquities have made a separation between you and your God? It isn't as if he's talking to people that are not the people of God, right? It's not as if he's talking to the heathen, you know, to those, to those atheistic or agnostic people that stand on the fringes looking on. It's not that. Notice he says here, between you and your God. So he's talking to those people that, that profess to be and evidently are the people of God. It says it's possible that something can get between the hand of God that saves you and the ear of God that hears and heeds your prayers. And it's, this word is used here, iniquities. Younger, when I heard that word iniquities, it was out in public. I thought somebody was saying a bad word. Okay. Iniquities, don't say that. My mama wash out my mouth with soap. She heard me say that word. Actually, it's not, right? Iniquities. Um, what are iniquities? We might, we might say the foul, the foul, and I'm talking about the flapping of the bird. I'm talking about the stink you see in the barnyard. The iniquities, your iniquities have made a separation between your God. Talking to the people of Isaiah in Isaiah's day, uh, they have been searching and quizzing and worrying about why have these things befallen us. We're the people of the promises of God. We're the people of the Abrahamic covenant. God has promised blessing to us, eternal blessing. He's promised through us blessing will come to the other families of the world. And yet calamity, like not fallen any other nation, has fallen upon us. We are having tragedy. We're having discomfort. Instead of being Instead of being a bright spot on planet Earth to represent uh, the person of God, to be his witnesses, instead we are, we are a laughingstock. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins, kind of these parallelism, parallel ideas here. And your sins, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. If somebody had told you, you know, God don't hear prayers, what would you say? Oh, yes, he does. Does God answer prayer? Oh, yes, he does. But in this situation, at this point in history, with Israel, it is as if, it is as if the prayers were going up against a brick wall, hitting and then just falling back on them. And Isaiah is saying that there's a reason for that. He says, your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't hear. It just means that he's not going to respond, at least initially. And of course, as we know, all throughout Isaiah, all throughout Isaiah, uh, Isaiah then will say, under the direction of the Lord, that ultimately, you see, ultimately the resolution of the dire straits that you're in is the coming of this messianic person. Look for him. In the preceding chapter, or the one before that, he's, he was citing the failure of the religious leadership and, and political leadership in Israel. And he says, he says they're, like, they're like watchdogs that can't bark. Remember? He said a few other things. He said they're failed in their duties to be on the guard for what's out there. And, uh, and because of that calamity, because of that uh, sin had entered into the society, because those who had the responsibility, the keepers of the gate, if you will, had failed at their job. 
because they were too busy with other less than ideal pursuits. Well, I look back over that recently, and I realized that the watchman, you know, the watchman looks out for what? And then it, it told us it was, they're, like the, they're like the dog that doesn't bark, you know, the one that sleeps on the porch while the burglar comes in the front door. And when they come out the door and they head back out, the dog looks up, goes right back to sleep. That's kind of the image. But interesting enough, I got to looking at that, and it's not only the watchmen are looking out for the harm that may come to the people, but even more importantly, I think, and more to the text here, the watchmen are looking for the coming of this messianic person. You see? In other words, all Israel should be standing up and their leadership especially, uh, eager for the salvation of God that will arrive in the person of the Christ. And then the Messiah shows up, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the leadership, how did they respond? Show us a sign that you are really the Messiah. You know, he, 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 he gave his messianic credentials in his sermons, in his parables. Uh, he had mastery over the diseases that were in Israel. Because the Mosaic Covenant said, if you break the covenant, this is what's going to happen to your people. He steps in and said, I am the deliverer, I'm the Savior, and he began to give these token credentials. And um, the watchdogs, the gatekeepers, those that were the leaders in Israel, they, they rebuffed him. Eventually, they tried him and crucified him because he claimed to be the Son of God. You know, that's who he was. That's who this Messianic person uh, as Isaiah presented him and as he presented himself in the Gospels is. And they rejected him for that. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. You like all this? And then we move from, uh, in verse 3, to your hands are defiled with blood. Your fingers with iniquity goes from the hands to the, to the fingers. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. Verse 4, no one enters suit justly. Justly. Now, I had to look up some words there to find out what that meant. No one enters suit justly. I'm thinking, somehow did they put their suit jacket on wrong, right? No one enters their suit justly. Does that mean they put it on backwards, upside down? And you might be thinking, Pastor Don, certainly you're not that big of an idiot. Mm -hmm. What does it mean here, no one enters suit justly? Well, always continues to read, no one goes to law honestly. So you're thinking someone has taken someone to court. Someone has said, we have a problem, and we need the law, the judicial system, to resolve this for us. No one enters the suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. The judicial system was corrupt. You know, it was, uh, there was no, there was, it was in, there was no, there was inequities. You know, some people got off without any kind of penalty. That's because they were from good families. Or they were from high ranking in the government, you know. But others who were perhaps, uh, you know, they weren't quite as noticeable, maybe done something similar. The law would look at them and say, we need to make an example out of them. You get 20 years or whatever. So one of the evidences of a corrupt society, one that is, um, one that is um, sh- uh, deserving, I guess is the word, of the of the judgment of God is one in which the society, in which the judicial system has gone corrupt or has gone 
outside of the lines of that which would be considered equitable. I don't think we could say that of the United States of America. Don't you? All them blank stares at me. You probably say, I don't know what you're talking about. You're still talking about that suit you put on backwards? But the sense is, is that no matter, you know, if you go into a South American country or, or, or any country, and there's some places they say you certainly don't want to be, you don't want to break the law there. Okay, if you do break the law there, you better have some money so you can give everybody who asks it some money to get you out. But the United States isn't like that, is it? It's very fair and equitable. There we go. I got a few reactions there. You're saying, saying Pastor Don, you're being tongue-in-cheek there, right? And uh, so, interesting enough, 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah wrote, and society at that time, even among the people of Israel, had grown so corrupt that people were looking for their own advantage, even in the judicial things. They rely on empty pleas, they speak lies, they conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. That sounds like, that sounds like the, I don't even know if I should say this or not, that sounds like the Republican and Democratic parties that we know in America today, doesn't it? Okay. They rely on empty uh, pleas, they speak lies, they conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. Verse 5 says they hatch adder's eggs. Adder is, adder is a venomous um, a serpent, snake. And he says, um, he says they hatch adder's eggs. That's their ideas. That's the pursuits. And uh, if you're hatching adder's eggs, you can imagine little bitty things there. Does an adder, does a snake does, who lays eggs, do they sit on there like a chicken and they hatch out? How does that work? I got somebody saying, no, that's not the way it goes. But they're still little bitty eggs. How is it that a bird lays eggs and a snake lays eggs? That's evolution, isn't it? You can see how all that just kind of happened on its own. Either way, you got a handful of adder's eggs. And I'm walking out there and I say, Andrew, will you hold these for me? Andrew puts them in his hand like that and he says, I feel them moving. They're kind of shifting around a little bit like that. What's, what might happen if those things have been beginning to move around a little bit? They may be trying to pop their way out. And if, a, and if an adder hatches out of its egg and it snaps at you and bites you. They say that the poison is as potent as that of an adult adder. They may have less of it because they're so small, I don't know. But it could be deadly. And if I gave Andrew a handful of five and they all hashed out at the right time, he has one for each finger if he wants one, you see? Bite, 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 bite. But the ideas, the talking, I might even say the preaching in some cases, those things that come out of the, out of the mouths of those who are the authoritative spokespersons, those things can be deadly to the mind and the soul of those who are hearing it. They hatch adder's eggs. They weave spider's web. They weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies, and from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity, and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet, their feet run to evil. So all these body parts here. You got hands, you got feet, you got you got the tongue, you got the lips. Such a such a, a phenomenal uh, description of of the human person. In contrast to what we're reading here, we could say we could say, blessed is the person who in contrast to this kind of person is one who is living the Word of God that they've been learning. 
be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think differently. Think better. Think biblically about your actions, about your life, about your ideas. Instead, these, things are, these people are motivated, motivated by what? What's, what's in it for me? Okay? What's, what's been my best interest personally? And if God says this, they might say something differently. Their feet run to evil. Their feet, their feet run to evil. Okay? That doesn't mean that they walk toward evil. doesn't mean that they plod along toward evil. When it says that they run toward evil, wow, I don't know anybody that runs toward evil, do you? He says here, Isaiah is saying their feet, he's talking about society, especially in that day, he's talking about people in general tend to not only gravitate toward evil, but to, to move rapidly. It's kind of like if you take a magnet, right? You like playing with magnets, you, know, you get two like this, and you, you put them like this, and they just want to push each other away, right? But if you flip them over this way, zoop, together. You can put a big magnet on the table there, and you can put some nails out there, right? And you can move that magnet a little closer, a little closer. And the closer you get it, what happens? The faster you see those things move. It's almost as if we, it's almost as if people have, we have this, we have this evil magnetism, or that evil has a magnetism. And the closer we get to it, the more rapidly we, we pursue it. Well, not you folks, right? We're only talking about those people out there somewhere. In reality, in reality, those of us that are in this room, those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, those of us who have been born again by the grace of God, who've come to faith in Jesus Christ, have the same, same capacity apart from the grace of God. It doesn't surprise me sometimes when I hear of a man or a woman who is a Christian doing something awful. Some will say, are they actually a Christian? I'm saying, I can't answer that question, but I can tell you this. It doesn't surprise me that even when a saved person does something that is inappropriate. Just think of Peter and how gracious the Lord was in restoring that man afterwards. Their feet run to evil and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity continually. This kind of reads like Romans 3. Those of you who are familiar with it, we'll look at that. In Romans 3, that's the indictment of the, against the human race. And actually, Paul draws from Isaiah. Uh, these same ideas are represented there in, in um, Romans chapter 3. This is, this is meant for Israel in particular at that juncture in history, and it's, it characterizes their history all the way up to the coming of the Messiah and the Messiah establishing His salvation. But Paul tells us it's not just those people. It's the entire human race that has this sin problem, and that's why we, need the, that's why we have the Savior solution, why we need the Savior solution. It's not that someone is better than someone else. It's just that someone recognizes their guilt, recognizes their need of the salvation that's made available in the person of Jesus Christ. It's in His death and resurrection, as Isaiah told us in Isaiah 53, you see. It's in His death and in His resurrection that He bore, he bore, the, he bore our iniquities. He took away our sins so that we could have forgiveness, so that we could have a heavenly Father that loves us and cares for us. We could have a home in heaven when this, when this life is over. Verse 8, 
The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their past. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Therefore, justice is far from... uh, uh. What changed here? We get to verse 9. At the end of verse 8, moving to verse 9, it says, Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold, darkness. What's hap- what happened here? Pronoun change, right? It was them. And now it is us. First time, at least in volume three of the Isaiah trilogy here, first time, you see, that the people are going to take responsibility. They're going to confess before the Lord. Remember, John the Baptist came along at the time of Jesus. He was to prepare the way for the Messiah. He came along, what did he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then the Pharisees showed up and, you know, they came out in their finely duds or whatever. We're important people. They came up to John the Baptist. What did John the Baptist tell them? You brood of vipers? Who, who warned you to flee from the wrath of God? So there's a sense in which uh, those Pharisees at the time of Jesus were like many of us today in the church. We won't take our place. We won't take our place as the sinner for whom Christ died. Someone has said that the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That means we all come the same way. We all come by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyway, the pronoun changes. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness, um, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We, uh, what's that next word? Is that group or grope? How many think grope? How many think group? Okay, grope it is. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the, as in the twilight. Notice it changed now. There's been, these, there's been these terse and sometimes harsh accusations made. And the beginning at this point now in the narrative or in the, in the storyline, the people to whom he is talking to are beginning to, are beginning to see the light, beginning to see themselves in the light of God's Word. I like verse 11. We all growl like bears. That's, like, that's somebody who hasn't had their first cup of coffee in the morning. Uh-huh. You say, good morning, or are you having a nice day? And if they haven't had their coffee, or in my case, at least in recent weeks here, my green tea, okay? And uh, um, we, all, we all growl like bears. I'm just so surprised. I really am so surprised when I get out in public, when I get out among people and begin to chat with them, just how angry everybody is. Or, which I don't do much anymore, I've kind of gotten away from it going on Facebook. Everybody tells me how they get Facebook accounts that are so nasty and mean. I said, well, I don't ever get any like that. But I go read theirs, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, a lot. There are some angry. There are some people out there that are just upset, and they just live that way. They are growl. They growl like bears. Or we moan and moan like doves. I think a dove moaning is a nice sound, don't you? You know, that's kind of sweet to hear that nice noise. It's kind of one of them happy sounds. But evidently the analogy here is they moan. They moan and like, like doves, they just, they just feel, they just have pain all the time. So we, we grope, we stumble, we are like dead men. We all, we all growl, we moan and moan. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. Verse 12, for our transgressions, still first person, 
For our transgressions are multiplied before you, O Lord. He, He doesn't miss any of it. He doesn't excuse any of it. Our transgressions are multiplied before you. Our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. We know our iniquities. Verse 13, transgressing transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. I'm going to end with verse 14 and 15. It brings this section to a conclusion. I wish we could talk more about it. Maybe we will when we get back next week. But he brings this section to a conclusion where justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. The reason why? For truth, for truth has stumbled in the public squares. What's missing from our from the cultural dynamic today? When we're looking at where we're looking at how the world works and runs, what is the obvious missing component? Truth. That's why I can say. Blessed is the man who learns the Word of God, but you won't. Truth is missing from, your, from our personal lives. And when we go out into the public squares, we have nothing to offer but to mimic, to repeat the values, you see, the ideals that they've told us. We need a few good men, a few good women. They say enough is enough, and they stand on the truth of God's Word. Jesus said, He is the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no man can come to the Father but through Him. Verse 15, truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. You put a target on your back. Announce truth. Live truth. Just quietly do truth. You don't have to be a, you don't have to be a, you know, some type of change agent in society. That's not your goal. Your goal is to know the truth and to live the truth personally. And when you do that, it says here, he who departs from evil, you know, makes himself a prey. It may actually, there may actually be a price to pay for the man who says, apart from the goals and aspirations that I have for myself in life, I'm going to have, a, I'm going to have the highest priority of learning and knowing the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the book of Isaiah. We know, Lord, that it, it stirs our hearts. It uh, causes us, it even, it even brings about some agitation. And I, uh, I apologize, Lord, if I've, if I've overstated the case here. But we feel it so deeply. We recognize in it the truth, not only of the, of the culture and the people of Isaiah's day, but we know, Lord, that it transcends time. That even in our own day, Things are just like they've been spelled out here in the book of Isaiah. I pray, Lord, like the message today, that there would be those among us here, and perhaps, Lord, increasingly so out in the, our workplace and our school place, increasingly those who would acknowledge, would become made aware of the peril that they're in apart from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and apart from the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for our sins. We pray these things in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to the Sunday message. We hope your understanding increased and maybe discovered one or two things you can use to improve your relationship to God and to fellow believers. 
If you aren't a member of a local church, we invite you to come check out Bible Fellowship Church. Thank you.